we couldn't stop because it was either run off a cliff, hit another car who had crashed, or hit him in the rear. So we crashed into him. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. This is actually number 100. This is episode 100 of The Fi Show. So excited to be making it to this point. But first, let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's going on, man? Hey, man. You know, I'd like to say not much, but uh, there's actually a ton going on. I know you've got a ton going on. And that's kind of the origin of this episode, right? Like we wanted to take episode 100, a special episode like that, and just have us get on here and give everyone a deeper look into what we have going on in our own lives. Because as much as we love our guests, you know, I think the audience would like to hear about some of the things we have going on. Um, But, you know, before we start jumping into like updates and accomplishments, I thought a cool thing we could do is actually kind of reflect on some of the cool things we've seen happen in other people's lives, like those people that are important to us. It's obviously been a really tough year for a lot of people, but I think when we zoom out, no matter how bad things are, we can find these little nuggets. And uh, that's kind of what I was going to do first. So a few things, accomplishments of those around me. A, uh, Leslie got a promotion, so that's awesome. And she got to work fully remote. She's dancing in the background. (laughs) My dad got his like six months and beyond kind of exams after battling cancer. Uh, You know, Cody, I know you were there actually when we found out that my dad had throat cancer. And so he went through chemo and radiation and uh, he got that all checked recently and they saw no signs. So we're super pumped about that. My sister was in like a super toxic work environment, not something to celebrate uh, because there was a lot of things going around the office, a lot of racist actions and things like that that she just didn't want to put up with. And uh, she stood up to them, ended up losing that job, uh, having to walk away from that job because of the work environment. But she just landed a job that she's very excited about. It's really stable, something she could see herself in for the, for the long term. So we're excited about that. Then one of my brothers, he's super smart, like MacGyver style, builds anything in the world from scratch kind of thing. And uh, he built this, uh, for those who would understand this, a plasma CNC machine. Basically, you could imagine like a little laser on the table that's running around cutting uh, shapes out of metal uh, that's hooked up to a computer to give you those precise cuts and anyways so he started a business around that on the side and it's really taken off and uh, he's seen some success there and then my mom is back to uh, she's a cosmetologist and she's back to actually being able to do her job covid shut a lot of things down obviously and she wasn't allowed to do that they've you know they have the workarounds now and the the different scheduling and so she's back to working and uh, off that unemployment route. So she's very excited about that. So that, yeah, that's kind of the roundup I have for me, Cody. Uh, you got any similar nuggets you'd like to pull from those around you? Yeah, I'm glad we started this off because it's kind of interesting and fun to highlight those around us. And I don't think we do it enough. And we don't do episodes like this enough. Where we're just kind of reflecting, talking like this. But so the first shout out, I got to give it to my girlfriend, Lauren. And I know Leslie got a promotion. Lauren got a new job as an outreach specialist at City Block Health. And so basically what she does is People with chronic illnesses, chronic diseases that are going to the hospital a lot, she is basically working as a prevention specialist to make sure that they're not going to the hospital as frequently. So she's working with them one-on-one, providing them with care and signing them up with the care team. I'm not sure all the specifics. I'm probably messing it up. She's (laughs) laughing in the background here, but that's basically the general gist of it. 
my mom has been focusing a lot. This is kind of the, one of the silver linings of COVID. She, all of her side hustles got shut down. She does like alcohol sampling and food sampling and all this stuff. And no, she's not tasting alcohol and tasting food. She's handing it out. But all, <laughs> all those little side hustle things she was doing got shut down. So she's been focusing a lot on fitness. She was telling me the other day that she's the same weight and waist size she was in high school. And she's been doing a bunch of fun outdoor projects like redoing her garden. She built this like mile long path in the woods with a hedge trimmers and a weed whacker. Super cool. And one thing that hasn't changed, though, Cody, is I know she's still our number one fan. Oh, that is not going to change. No, she's definitely smiling her head off right now listening to this. But (laughs) shout out to her. She's awesome. She's definitely the number one fan. She was there from the very beginning. Also, something that's pretty cool, and this isn't any one specifically, but I've had a lot of friends recently. I don't know if it's COVID and just money stress hearing people talk about, oh, going back to work and money's tight. But I've had a lot of friends that have been interested in FI lately. A lot of friends have been asking me about side hustles or, hey, how do I start a Roth IRA? Or, hey, how do I increase my savings rate? How do I buy a house? All these awesome things. And I'm happy to answer the questions that I've never really been asked before. Most people are like, oh, you got a podcast? That's kind of cool. And then they don't listen. And then the last couple of shout outs I got to give is to I've had a lot of real estate experience through the battlefield this year. It wasn't easy and I've learned a ton, but got to give a shout out to Sonny, who we had on the podcast. Don't remember the episode. Also, James and Emily Lowry, who we also had in the podcast. I think that's episode 36. And then my agents, my real estate agents, Brooke and Lisa, who have been phenomenal. And yeah, so without them, without being able to lean on other people on my quote unquote real estate team, I probably wouldn't have jumped into the deals I jumped into and wouldn't be where I am today. But Justin, that's enough about giving people shout outs. Well, we can never have enough of giving people shout outs, but I want to ask a few questions about you because you've been posting all over Facebook, all over Twitter about the van and the whole journey of the van. I know you took pictures when you bought it. You posted, I mean, a hundred rehab pics. You were Man, you were going to town on that thing with remodeling, and then you recently sold it. So I would love if you could just kind of go through that whole process and definitely give us numbers because I want to hear the numbers on this. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, I like to think that people are interested in this van build, and I definitely want to put together like an in depth conversion, you know, a few articles. And we have some actually some external sites that I was thinking about working with. Um, to publish that out with and just haven't got around to it because I think as you'll hear in this episode been a million things going on but uh, the van was an awesome experience I mean it, I bought it before you know I even knew what COVID was I think before most people in America had ever heard the word um, but it turned out to be you know the best possible timing to buy something like that so I bought it in early February like the first week of February I bought it for $4,700 um, it was a 2012 with just over 100,000 miles on it. I spent about $250 doing what I would call the structural remodeling. So basically when you looked at it, when you opened the doors, it looked like a camper van. Now it was missing some of those electrical components that make it, you know, really take you that last mile, which is the ventilation fan, um, a refrigerator, a solar panel, the big battery bank to, that you would, you know, store the power that you're pulling off the solar panel. All that cost an additional $1,000. So I had about $1,250 into the van conversion. So right there, you know, you're sitting around $6,000. Now, fast forward when I end up selling it, I sold it for $12,500. So it sounds like this, you know, not only a fun project, but an awesome investment. And we did get 12,000 miles and probably about 20 different nights staying in it all across the country. Uh, But unfortunately, the profit margin was pretty slim because I had so many mechanical issues. So... Uh, when we were in Denver, the complete transmission went out, had to have it, uh, you know, a brand new one put in, 
you don't have a lot of options or a lot of shopping around when you're on the road so far from home and you got to get to the next destination. So that was almost $4,000. It was like $3,800. I had some other issues where I was tinkering around with it. And so I spent some money trying to figure out what the issue was. Turned out it to be um, the exhaust. And so I ended up replacing the entire exhaust system. Um, some people think about the exhaust as just a little pipe that sticks out the end of the car, but there's a lot more to it than that with your catalytic converters and different O2 sensors and what have you. So that ended up being about $1,700. And then, like I said, I had a, a lot of other odd and end things. And so ended up only making definitely under $1,000 on the van, but it was, it was such a fun experience. And I was shocked at how good the finished product was when it came out because you know, I don't have a lot of background in doing projects like that. I don't have a ton of tools. I didn't have a big shop, you know. Um, so I would just say, if you're interested in doing a van build, don't think that you got to drop 30 grand. Yes, I had some mechanical issues and, and that's life and it could happen. But even with those mechanical issues, right? Like I didn't lose money on it. So you could go out there, do one of these projects, the worst possible things could take place and you could still break even on it after enjoying it for a year. So if you're thinking about doing a van, give it a shot. As long as you got a circular saw, a drill and a couple of, you know, little odd and end tools, it's definitely possible. All right. So you just said that you didn't have any experience with this and you don't have a job in as a contractor or mechanically inclined job at all. <laughs> so how did you go? How did you go about doing this stuff? Like, I feel like a lot of this is un things or maybe I'm mistaken, but I would have no idea how to like replace an exhaust or install electrical stuff. Well, the exhaust and the transmission, the reason those prices were so high is because those were paid professionals to do the, that work. I only did the van conversion now, but with the van conversion, you know, it's a couple things. There's all the YouTube videos. There's reaching out to people who maybe do have more expertise. Um, and then there's understanding what your requirements really are. So, for instance, with the electrical, the only reason you would really need to go into these complicated setups where you're trying to figure out, you know, series versus in parallel wiring with multiple batteries and fuses and yada yada and safety concerns is if you're trying to have really large power output um, for something that's just going to run a small refrigerator, you know, laptop, cell phones, uh, the exhaust fan. A lot of people have seen this brand called Gold Zero that places like REI carry. This was an off brand that I use, but basically it is the size of a lunchbox that will hold all the power you need for all those things. It is plug and play with solar panels. So the solar panels plug directly into it. And then it's also kind of plug and play for other 12 volt things. So um, you can just buy all these standard 12 volt plugs and connect to your different devices. Um, and so, you know, if you're just comfortable reading a manual and watching a couple of YouTube videos, it's not something you need to be an electrician to do. The hardest thing I would say with building a van that, makes it more difficult than standard like home remodeling as a home is all built around this kind of square concept like everything is for the most part square there's not a lot of really strange curves and stuff there is nothing about the inside of a van that is square <laughs> everything is is curved and angled and and so that part can get frustrating but you know you just kind of figure out ways to square up the inside of the van so you get it to a point to where then you can start doing those traditional kind of practices you would use when you're building and you know building houses and things like that is not a new concept it, it's been around forever and so um, I think the reason that most of it seems so complicated is mostly intimidation and not pure skill 
because I definitely do not have a ton of that skill, you know, naturally or through experience. So I think we've covered enough with my little home on wheels, but you kind of dropped in here earlier when you were giving shout outs to other people and you gave a shout out to some real estate investors. So I think you've got some updates for us on uh, some home projects of yourself. Oh yeah. So it's been a busy year for Cody in the real estate arena. And the reason why I wanted to get into real estate in the first place was just because, I mean, we've interviewed a hundred people or close to a hundred people at this point, And it has to be 10 or 15 of them have achieved financial independence at some insanely fast rate because of real estate. Like the ones that come to the top of my head are some of the people I gave a shout out to earlier, like James and Emily and Sonny and Dustin Heiner. And we had Jimmy on way before who was picking up properties while he was walking by as a mailman. Like real estate is just such a powerful tool. And it's something that's not going out of style. Like it's not an industry that's you know in decline, like paper or something like people are always going to need a place to live. So I was like, all right, I actually got to get my feet wet. I'll, I'm very interested in it. I got to walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. So I started looking at investment properties, um, was looking in central mass for a while. Cause that's where I'm originally from. And the property values were just insane. Like the price to rents made no sense at all. Places were going for 25 K over asking in cash. And me and my girlfriend, Lauren were putting in offers and just getting beat out every single time. And we're like, this just doesn't make sense. And these places were like just barely, if we were going at asking price, hitting the 1% rule, it would be like a $250,000 house. Maybe each side of the duplex would rent at $1,250 and then it would get scooped up for $275. It's like, all right, this isn't working out. So we jumped the border. We went down to Connecticut and we didn't get the first one there either. Like I was saying earlier, it's a slog. Like I was, I went through the battlefield trying to learn and trying to get my fee wet in real estate, but ended up scooping up the property that I'm recording this in now, actually. It's a three family. We got it for a 235K. And while we're living in it, we're going to be grossing 2200 in rent. So that's a pretty good deal. Once we move out, we'll, it'll probably be around 3K. So that's a, for those of you who are 1% rulers and people who know about real estate, we're, we're hitting the 1% rule pretty good there. And then we actually bought a property, investment property down in Alabama as well. So this was through our friends, James and Emily, who I've mentioned several times already. But Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama specifically is just, a, it's a pretty hot market and the price to rents make a lot of sense. So I ended up buying this condo for 107.5. Now, the cool part is that James and Emily already own another condo unit in the same association and they're Airbnb-ing it out and it's making like one and a half times what it would make as a long-term rental. So that's the plan. I'm actually going to be going down there in a couple of weeks and fully furnishing it and just getting it Airbnb-able and then throwing that thing on Airbnb. So that should probably gross 1500 a month, which again, for 1% rule, check. And then another property. So the seller was a distressed seller. It's 0.5 miles from the property I'm in right now. I'm in Plainfield, Connecticut. 0.5 miles down the street, distressed seller. They had like a, just the worst tenant ever in there. And he finally left. I think they gave him an eviction notice back in July. And so the seller was like, I just want my hands done with this. I put in an offer. He countered because I put in a kind of a lowball offer. We met in the middle. And that should be closing probably end of October. So depending when you're listening to this, I might have already closed and have the property. If not, that should be coming down the pipeline. But man, Justin, it's been a crazy learning process. Like we listen to so many real estate investors. You and I have probably asked 10 plus hours of content about real estate to people about real estate that know about real estate. But when you go and actually do the thing, there's so many little nuances and little things that you did not even know or think about. It's It was a lot. <laughs> So, Cody, one thing I wanted to ask about, though, was you were talking about the initial houses you were looking at were going 20, 25,000 over asking. 
and not even really meeting the 1% rule. Then you find this one in Connecticut. You are over, you're exceeding that 1% rule. So it's a, it's a great property. Did you get it at asking price or did you have to pay over for that one? So that's a good question. I actually did have to pay over for this one. It was listed at an egregiously low listing price. It was listed at 210. And once I saw the property and toured it, like it was basically turnkey. The guy was super uptight about making sure that everything was perfect. All the plumbing, all the electricals, like perfectly labeled and so nice. The house is really, really well taken care of. And I was like, why is this on the market for 210? It doesn't make any sense. Did my due diligence and I put an offer in that day. I, I hit up my cousin who's a contractor and another contractor friend of mine, sent him all the pictures, sent him all the specs. And they were like, yeah, go for it. And even at 235, once my buyer's agent, she actually wasn't with me, Lisa, um, at the time, she's like, oh my God, like I would have listed this. If I was the listing agent, I would have listed this for like 250 or 260. So I was really, really happy about that. I did pay over asking, but I mean, from the numbers and obviously if you're spreadsheet numbers nerds like us, it really makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important thing to call out because as humans, we like to always get a deal. We always like to try to get less than what something's listed at. But if it is a good deal, as far as the numbers make sense, the rent to mortgage ratio is there, don't overthink it. You know, like get in there, get that deal. If that means overpaying based on what they were asking, but getting a great price, then just knock it out and get it. Because you would have been in that same situation. You would have lost that house if you would have tried to come in at asking. Then you would have been looking for the next one. And who knows when you would have found a house as perfect as you did. So I just thought that was cool to kind of highlight. Yeah. One thing I do want to caution people and people might not be in the same situation as I am, but I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs, people with side hustles, people with different businesses outside their day job. Man, I did not anticipate how arduous the lending process is going to be. They ask for literally every single piece of documentation I could possibly think of. And if you have even a little side business that makes like two grand a year doing whatever, like they're going to want proof and they're going to want like a letter making sure that everything checks out. It was just like, oh my gosh, I did not know I even had this many documents. But after like slogging through the process and actually shopping around, which was smart with a bunch of different lenders, I, I ended up with a really awesome lender. His name's Lee, who's been hooking me up. He's he's really easygoing guy, kind of gives it to me straight instead of like bank talk. But yeah, man, that was that was just a crazy process. But Justin, I know you haven't purchased a property, but you do kind of have a property related thing that's happened and it's drastically reduced your expenses, if I'm not mistaken. Could you talk a little bit about the move and what's going on with that? Yeah. So um, when we were actually in the van going across the country, that same trip where the transmission went out and all that, you know, we got to thinking like, why are we still in Boston? What's keeping us here? With the coronavirus, we were working remote anyway. So we were just working from home. All of our, you know, friends and network was largely built around my time in the Air Force. And so all those people were starting to move to different locations because you only stay in one location for so long. And it just so happens that when we were driving through Austin, which is where Leslie is from, we had not asked her parents anything about moving here. Like we just started the conversation between us two about where we would want to live and if we left Boston. And uh, Leslie's parents mentioned, hey, we the little condo that we own downtown, the tenants moved out. And so our, you know, we kind of get the brain starts churning, we start thinking. And we kind of came together with a plan of, hey, the apartment's in really bad shape straight out of the 70s, looks rough. You're not getting anywhere close to what you should be as far as a market rent perspective, probably $400 plus a month under rent. What if we move to Austin 
we did the renovations. You guys cover the actual material costs, but we'll handle everything. We'll do the physical labor. We'll get the house where it is renting for what it should. We will handle the situation like when we leave, we'll post the pictures. We'll help we'll help you find tenants who are paying, you know, more of that twelve, thirteen hundred range instead of an eight hundred dollar range. And if we do that, like we will get to basically live here at cost. So we will cover the HOA fees, we'll cover the taxes, we'll cover the electricity bill. But it gets it, our rent down to a total of five fifty a month. So we're each paying two seventy five. <laughs> And not it too turns, shabby. <laughs> no, I mean we're downtown Austin, but again, like it's a win-win for everybody. What I, I like to think it's not just a handout, right? Like we are coming in and we're doing all this work for them, and long term, the amount of rent that they're going to get back is going to greatly make up for the fact that they rented it to us for two fifty less than they rented it to the person before us, because they're going to get to rent it for four hundred more than the person before us. Now. It sounds great to have rent that low and to be downtown in a cool city, but we do both work from home, which is awesome, but it's 375 square feet. And so, uh, you know, you could imagine what most people think about living there as one person with an office to go to at 375, much less two people both working full time from home. But, you know, some other logistics into the move. I ended up selling $1,800 worth of stuff from my last apartment. Obviously, we had to greatly reduce, you know, our footprint because of the size. But I sold $1,800 worth of stuff. Now, a lot of that stuff I actually got for free via Facebook Marketplace over the over the years. Um, but sold that. I spent about $600 buying new things, you know, a kayak, furniture, this and that. And then I spent a little over $1,000 on, on the U-Haul and, and moving materials so I really broke even on the move itself, but my rent is going to drop by $526 a month. And then I'm going to also save about $687 a month in taxes because I no longer have to pay state taxes. So that should push my savings rate above 85%, close to 90%. Dang. <laughs> That is a serious savings rate because what were you at before, like two grand or less actually a month in spending? And now you're reducing that by 500 something? Yeah, I was probably at around 1800 a month. And that was that was honestly even kind of pre-COVID without the amount of travel. You know, I was probably closer to 1600 So now that we can't really travel, my numbers may be under $1,000 a month. Now, obviously, once we get back to traveling, I would expect to see two to $300 a month increase there. Although they are starting to open up where they're doing local concerts. And I love a lot of the Texas country music. And the way they're doing it is kind of small tables that are that are distance apart from each other. Um, but I do expect expenses to go up when we can travel more. And speaking of traveling and canceled plans, plans that were not to be, uh, I think you've had a lot of trips this year get interrupted by coronavirus, Cody. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, don't even get me started. <laughs> I remember, I don't know if you guys remember way back, but I was supposed to visit James and Emily in Cyprus in March. That was like right when COVID started starting stuff down. I remember Lauren and I were like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll just head over there. And it just kept getting closer and closer. Countries are getting shut down. And I was like, whoa, this is actually like a real thing. <laughs> and like everybody else in the States anyway, I I had no idea the severity of COVID and what it was going to cause and the implications. So I was super bummed about that. But we ended up rebooking because Norwegian Airlines was stubborn and would not give us cash back. So we're like, all right, let's just use our Norwegian points to book some other vacations. They're pretty generous with how many points they gave us. And I don't think Norwegian knew the extent of 
COVID's destruction. So we rebooked Europe trips for May and July. And of course, both of those didn't happen. And one of the big things I hadn't even mentioned uh, from this year is was the Financial Freedom Summit. And we were both supposed to be there, Justin. It was originally slated for May 1st through 3rd in St. Louis. And now again, I was like, oh, no way it's going to, this is going to last till May, like when we couldn't go to Cyprus. I was like, this will be done in April. We'll be fine. And what do you know? It's still kicking in May. So we ended up rescheduling to September. And what do you know? It's September now. And we did not have the Financial Freedom Summit. There's absolutely no way that that would be happening with thousands of people congregating in one room. That's just COVID central. So a lot of stuff that got canceled this year. I'm hoping that things might change and we can kind of get this thing under control. I honestly have no clue what's going to happen. But man, I miss traveling. And I know, Justin, you had some stuff planned for this year, too. What What are you missing out on? Yeah, I mean, my travel changes kind of happened right when COVID was hitting. Like it, it happened to me as I was on a trip. So we were actually um, getting ready to do a half marathon length Spartan race out in California. It's very excited about it. We've been training for it. And the night before we get ready to leave, I remember it vividly. I was actually outside working on the van and I get an email that says the race is canceled because of coronavirus. And we we're supposed to be flying out the next morning. And, you know, didn't really know what to do, but we decided to fly out there. We changed where we we're going to be spending most of our time. So we changed our hotels up into like the Sonoma County, the wine country, because neither one of us had been. So it started out as actually like, okay, I think we've salvaged this. I mean, the hotel was weird. Nobody was there. They weren't doing the food and stuff. And if you know anything about me, I love all the free amenities and the free buffets and things. But so that wasn't there. But it's okay. We were in a beautiful part of the country. The weather was good. They had this, uh, what they call barrel tasting out there, where basically you get to try wines before they're actually uh, completely finished. And then you'll get to try the ones that are finished. And so you get to kind of see how they progress. And this is normally a fairly expensive thing because these different vineyards are participating. So it's like a, a pass that you get to go to all these different places. Well, the vineyards had already set everything up, were prepared for it then it gets canceled. So they just decided to say, Hey, if you're in town and you want to come by, it's free. And so we were doing that. It was a lot of fun. And we thought, you know what, we'll go out to Lake Tahoe. Friend of a friend was going to hook us up with free skis. I'd never skied Lake Tahoe. It was going to be awesome. We had an Airbnb lined up. Then a snowstorm comes in. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be flexible. We get snow chains. This will be fun. Then the ski resorts announced that all the ski resorts across America are shutting down, ended up shutting down for the rest of the season. Uh, we had to cancel our Airbnbs. Uh, we had to get our money back on the snow chains. But we're like, let's go to Yosemite. All right, let's 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 go to Yosemite. We'll make something out of this. And uh, while we're in Yosemite, this snowstorm starts hitting there. And on the way out, we're coming down kind of a pass. And uh, someone decided that they would take their little BMW down this road where it had tons of signs saying four by fours only, you know, all season tires, snow chains, yada, yada. And, um, he spun, he spun out in front of us kind of in a blind curve. We couldn't stop because it was either run off a cliff, hit another car who had crashed or hit him in the rear. So we crashed into <laughs> him. Luckily no one was hurt or anything, you know, had to file the insurance claims and yada, yada. Which I will make a plug, though, real quick, not to make this story too long, but putting those type of charges on a good credit card can really save you because I was able to have the credit card handle 
all the expenses for fixing the car in that crash without enacting my own insurance because I actually do not have full coverage. But even though I don't have full coverage and they deemed it my fault, it all went through the credit card. Uh, it all went through my Amex Platinum. So definitely check when you're doing big purchases or things that can potentially get really out of hand at what kind of credit card you're putting on it and what extra protections they come with. But anyways, um, we get out of there. We're trying, we get our flights moved back because we're just done with this trip and we're on our way to LA and I guess my geography must be off. I don't know how many people know this, but just outside of LA, you go over this kind of little higher pass area and snow had shut down the whole road. And I'm like, what? Like the end of March, there is snow outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, so we were delayed, almost missed our flights, but we got home. And that was really the last time we had a real trip outside of driving the van around. We were supposed to be in Europe for like three weeks. We were going to be in Porto and Amsterdam and just kind of use that as a hopping off point, maybe even go to Cyprus and see James and Emily. Um, but that got canceled. And now we're not really pushing our luck. We've just decided to not bank on any traveling being possible other than by car. And uh, so we haven't booked anything else. And that was a really, you know, obviously drawn out way of saying how crazy it has been with traveling and, and what, and some of the impacts that COVID did from that standpoint. But I do think it has given people a lot more time to kind of work on themselves because they're not going out and traveling so much. And Cody, I think you have some things that you were telling me about where you're working on like your health and wellness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was giving my mom shout outs earlier, but I guess her genes have rubbed off on me. So this whole year, I mean, especially with COVID, I've definitely been focusing on my health and fitness a lot. I think in April and May, I was probably at the most fit I've ever been in my whole life. I was the most fit in terms of cardio, in terms of just the way I looked, and I felt awesome. And actually, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I went vegan for three months toward the beginning of the year. And that was definitely a bit tough. I... I love eating eggs and eggs are kind of one of my go-tos, but I gave them up for a little bit and I gave up another one of my go-tos is bacon. I love bacon, even though I know it's not the best food for you, but I did it for three months. I I figured out that I could do it, which was kind of the test. It was just like, okay, can I still get all my nutrients? And like, am I able to do this without just putting a huge slab of meat on my plate and then maybe having a little broccoli florets on the side? Because that was generally what I would do before. I'd have like a big hunk of chicken and maybe a vegetable on the side. <laughs> but I did the whole vegan thing. And then I started to get really into cardio. So this is kind of around the same point, I guess. I started to see myself becoming more cut, lower body fat percentage from the vegan stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna throw some cardio into the mix. And for those of you who heard me talked about my health and fitness before, I've always been like a lifter. I always hated cardio. I could never really, or I never wanted to run like more than a mile. But I started to run, you know, one miles, two miles, three miles, four miles. And all of a sudden I ran a half marathon one weekend and I was just kept pushing myself and pushing myself. And finally I started to get what people call like the runner's high. Like I actually liked to run. It was a lot of fun. And focusing on you know long distance. I was also focusing on sprinting. I know Justin, I'd mentioned this to you before, but had my best mile time of all time, 536. I never thought I could get a mile time that low. And so <laughs> giving myself a little pat in the back there, but yeah, man, just focusing a lot more on like healthier, more conscious eating. I've actually been spending a little bit more on groceries. I hope you don't cringe at that, but <laughs> <laughs> I've been spending a little bit more to get like, you know, the, if, if I am going to buy meat, I get the meat that's like, pasture raised and it's free range instead of a cow that's shoved in like a four by four box or 
I'll get eggs that are cage free and free range, like things like that. I, I'm trying to be a little bit more conscious about some of the foods I'm eating. Have you been focusing on anything like that? Just whether it's, you know, mental health or fitness or I know you've been super busy lately, but I think it's been an awesome time for people to reflect and change those types of things. Yeah, I think that COVID has definitely given me more time to focus on that sort of thing. And another thing that's kind of helped me take my foot off the gas and to think a little bit more about long term and taking care of my health. And and not that I should have been waiting to do this, but it's kind of a, I guess I would call it historical fi. So, you know, I keep really dedicated numbers around tracking every dime that I spend. Cody knows like I've got this ridiculous spreadsheet and I can tell you anything I've bought over the last five and a half years. And and based on that, I spend around $1,850 a month. That's kind of the average over the last five and a half years. And based on a 4% withdrawal, you know, a lot of people hear the 4% rule. So that basically just means, you know, withdrawing 4% of that nest egg, that nest egg should generate a little over $1,900 now based on the nest egg that, that I've accumulated. So I hit what most people would call FI. Like I said, I'm thinking it was like a historical FI because I don't know that I necessarily want the rest of my life to be at $1,850 a month. But statistically, I could keep living that lifestyle without working. But what I'm going to do is I want to keep pushing that number higher. I want to keep lowering what that safe withdrawal rate would have to be. And I'm going to start investing a little more myself, which I know I should have been doing all along. I want to start focusing more on you know, increasing that grocery bill a little bit, you know, buying the good shoes for running, you know, if it means getting a personal trainer or gym membership, or, you know, if I'm experiencing pain and need to go to the chiropractor, like I'm just going to start investing a little more in myself. And I know uh, that I didn't always do the best job, but I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to those W2 workers out there. I know that uh, that lifestyle isn't as romanticized but it's got it's it's got some pros, and uh, if it means you can retire at at age thirty while just having a normal W two job, I would I wouldn't knock it too much. I was actually just about to ask about that because I know a reason why you probably have super accelerated five this year. I think it's been about one year now. Is that you've been one year out of the Air Force now, working in the civilian world? How has that been going? I feel like we haven't really talked about your job at all or the perks and just generally how it is. Yeah, I mean, I really cannot complain. You know. Obviously, I got out of the military when the economy was still booming. So I got out last August, September. So I've been at my new job for a year. Um, Very fortunate that I didn't have to try to find this job in the current market. Although my company has still been hiring because I've seen it as an opportunity to, to get those people from companies that are failing and are having issues. And they have a broader talent pool to pick from now. So um, not all industries are actually in the worst position for hiring, although the competition probably is higher because more people have been laid off. But I I mean, I really can't complain. I I have obviously like anybody else, like I have stressful days, but the pay is really fantastic. The healthcare is awesome. Like I actually have a $0 premium. Now I still have a deductible. I don't want anybody to get confused there. I, I still have copay and deductibles, but they actually give me money for my HSA and don't charge me at all on a month to month basis for the plan. So there's no premium. Uh, they have great 401k match. They are set up uh, for those who are into the, the kind of nerdier levels of FI and thinking about the mega backdoor Roth. They are set up in a way that allow that. And they've also allowed me to go fully remote. So not just remote during coronavirus, um, but I support only accounts up in the New England region. So, you know, think Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. But I live in Austin, Texas. 
I just work East Coast hours, which I actually enjoy. It means I get up and get my day started an hour earlier than the other people on my team, but I get to finish an hour earlier, so I get a little more daylight. But yeah, it's it's really been awesome, and I will say, though, that I mentioned earlier we're in a, a tiny apartment working from home, and one thing that has helped me do that is the, my latest really cool project, which when I start telling people immediately think I'm crazy if it, you know <laughs> doing a van conversion is one thing it's like okay that sounds a little crazy like I couldn't I could never sleep in a van yada yada but when I tell people that I have bought a 1960s steel phone booth to put inside of my home <laughs> most people are just like don't even know where I'm about to go with this but what I did and uh, we, we can post some pictures is I took a 1960s steel phone booth you know it's got an accordion glass door the whole nine yards it was really rusty, broken down, fixed it up, sanded it down, put a fresh coat of white paint on it. Luckily, all the glass and stuff was really intact, but I've mounted my microphone, my webcam. I've got a 29-inch widescreen monitor, put hardwood floors in it, ventilation fan. I've got like, you know, the smart speaker and lights and everything in here. So this is my little work pod, the office that I worked in before everything got shut down, actually had these kind of little pods. And I looked into those. I looked into just buying one already done and put it in the house. They're four grand. They're $4,000. What? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I bought this phone booth for $400. Yeah, I spent a little money on paint and and whatever it was, like 20 bucks for the fan. But I can promise you I do not have $600 in this phone booth, which is a much better deal than 4,000. But yeah, so that's kind of been my journey working this current job that I have. I've just always been a little more comfortable with the W-2 route. I don't have anything against the entrepreneurial route. It's just worked out for me. You know, I got into the military thing and then I fell into this job, which pays amazing. And uh, I, I just, I enjoy working with these big companies and solving problems and interact with these CEOs and stuff of companies that I, I know realistically I would never have that option to do if I wasn't doing it through the conduit of a, of a much larger company. But I do sometimes envy, you know, the flexibility and uh, just kind of the ingenuity that goes into creating your own sources of income. And I know that's obviously, Cody, your bread and butter. And so I think you've had some lessons this year that you learned you were telling me about around entrepreneurship. So why don't you drop that knowledge on everybody? Yeah. So this has definitely been a, I mean, it's been a difficult year and just a crazy year for everyone. I've definitely been fortunate this year that my ventures have been working out, but I guess 2020 marks my first full year of being an entrepreneur. In 2019, that was when I quit my corporate banking job in January. Then I went on the book tour with Grant till the end of May. So then I kind of started my entrepreneurship journey, what was it, June of 2019. But this is like my first full year of entrepreneurship and it's definitely been wild. So just like you were saying, Justin, like one of the awesome things I think about having like a W-2, like a secure job that you kind of know what you're getting into, I guess that's the good part. With entrepreneurship, it sucks sometimes because you will try something, you'll spend hundreds of hours working on a project and then it just fails completely. Like and unfortunately, you're not getting paid for that. You're like your employer isn't like, oh, all right, well, you're, we're still paying you your salary, even though this thing didn't work out. When you're doing entrepreneurship, like you get zero. <laughs> if you create something and you can't sell it or it doesn't add value, like it's just essentially useless, except for maybe a learning lesson. And that's something I wanted to talk about because I've learned so much from those failures. I think that's 
one of the biggest keys and something I've learned is like being an entrepreneur is just getting beat down a hundred times and just continuing to get back up. And every single time you get back up, you have one extra skill. You learned one extra thing that doesn't work. And then you get back to the drawing board. So I know we've talked about this before, but the big thing that I spent a lot of time on in mid 2019 was building out those side hustle courses with Julie. We had the blogging course, the freelancing course, and the Etsy printables course. Now, like I was just saying, we spent hundreds of hours building out all of these courses. At this point in time, we only run the Etsy printables course. We ended up shutting down the freelancing course. There wasn't too much interest. Shutting down the blogging course, there was just a lot of competition and it didn't quite make sense for us to just to focus our efforts on two different courses to give the best support we could possibly give to our students. So like I literally spent so many hours recording videos, editing videos, writing content for the freelancing blogging course, and they're just sitting in a vault. <laughs> like there's, there's, they're not doing anything right now, but, and that's just the reality of it. It's tough, but I, I've, I, that's what I've kind of come to grasps with in 2020 is like, you just keep trying things. You keep trying things. You don't have the magic formula. It's just iterating, then assessing, and then getting back to the drawing board. Another thing I kind of learned was that you don't have to be like a slimy salesman. I used to always think that, you know, these people who are online entrepreneurs, marketers, whatever they were, they're all slimy. They're all just trying to like slither their way into your wallets and take your money without delivering any value. But I mean, one, that's not the right way to go about entrepreneurship. You're never going to be a successful business person if that's what you're doing. Maybe you'll have one little scheme that works out, like a little pyramid uh, marketing (laughs) scheme on MLM or something, but you're not going to ever have long-term wealth. You're not going to have a business that thrives doing that. But what I learned this year was like you can deliver value and both parties can benefit. So you're, as the entrepreneur, the creator, you're making money. And if you can deliver something valuable at scale, whether it's a course or an ebook or whatever, name your online products, like you can deliver this same product to a thousand people, but it could be at a fraction of a cost of delivering it in like a one-on-one session. So if someone was, for example, wanting to start a blog, maybe they could hire a blog consultant and the blog consultant would charge them, you know, $2,000, $2,500, whatever amount of time it takes them and whatever the person's charging. But then you have someone who offers a blogging course for say $200 and they can deliver at scale and each individual person that's purchasing that wants to start a blog is benefiting because they're getting it as a, at a cheaper price than like a one-on-one consultation. And the creator is also benefiting because they're able to deliver this thing at scale. So I don't know, just the antics and how you can actually make a viable business strategy that makes sense for both parties is something that I really learned a ton about this year and just, you know, audience building getting people to subscribe to you by, you know, giving them freebies, giving them real information instead of just being transactional. Hey, buy my thing. Hey, I have the best product or service in the world. Come sign up with me. And just so many things you can learn in entrepreneurship. I encourage people, even if you don't want to do it full time, just start a little side hustle. Even if it's not making any money, even if you don't intend for it to replace your day job income, just like the lessons you'll learn from these failures. If you're not afraid to fail and please don't be afraid to fail because that's the best way to grow. But I I think it's an awesome way to go if you're looking to gain new skills and have a little bit of fun while you're doing it. Yeah. And I can't like overemphasize that what you're saying about delivering value and there doesn't have to be a loser in these situations. You know, I think about sometimes I'll set aside a little time to work with people one-on-one for financial coaching, like personal finance coaching. And, you know, yes, I will charge them because I'm just kind of trying to protect my time. But if they make some changes in their life to where now they're saving 5% more, 10% more, or maybe now they're not paying someone to help them with their investments where that person gets one and a half percent of their nest egg just because they're helping them invest. 
these little things, if I charge them $500, like they're going to get that value back in two months, much less when you think about the value they're going to get over the next 20 years. And I remember one time I was working with someone and I mentioned to him and I said, hey, you know, here's something else I can do for you. If you find somebody else who wants to work with me and they end up working with me, you know what? I, I can give you back like 25 or 50 bucks. I can't remember what I said. And they gave me this look like, oh my goodness, what is this? Some kind of like multi-level marketing thing. And I'm just sitting there <laughs> thinking, if you enjoyed this enough to tell one of your good friends that you enjoyed this and you saved money and this person ends up saving money as well and you save an additional $50, who lost here? Like everyone <laughs> is saving money. I'm getting paid for my time as any human being who's doing work for anyone should get paid. You both save money. And yes, I decided to give you a little extra kickback because you helped me find someone else to help. Like there's no loser in that situation. And so it is unfortunate that we have become so skeptical because there have been some bad apples out there. But I know there are plenty of folks like you, Cody, who are doing things online that, yes, will end up seeing money change hands. But it doesn't mean that anyone is losing. Like both sides can win. And kind of on that same thread about entrepreneurship, I talked a lot about failure and just restructuring, you know, getting back to the drawing board or something's not working. And so that's what we wanted to talk about. The last thing we want to kind of start off with is we're going to be making some changes to the five show. Don't worry, Justin and I are not going anywhere, but we just want to kind of change around the structure of the show. We have been just kind of pumping out episode after episode with not any real strategy or rhyme or reason. Now, don't get us wrong. The guests have been amazing and I've learned so much. But we think you guys would get a lot more value if, one, maybe there's more audience interaction. Like, let's say we have a theme. We have two real estate people come on for two episodes, and then you guys are all primed. You have all these questions you're ready to ask, and maybe you're asking them in your head, but you don't actually have a voice to really ask those questions with the current format of the show. So maybe what we'll do is we'll have you send in a voicemail or just reply to us on social media, whatever. But we'd love for you guys to get involved. Like we want to hear more of the audience's voices. We want to know what you will learn about because selfishly, Justin and I just ask the questions that we want to know. Of course, we have you lovely audience members in the back of our minds whenever we're asking questions. But a lot of these questions that we're asking, well, that I'm asking, I can't speak for Justin, I guess. I'm curious about these things. So if we could get feedback from you guys, that would be awesome. So Stay on the lookout for those new episode styles and just the new formats. And I just want to say, I mean, thank you for all the support through these 100 episodes, which is just nuts. I remember like when we first started, Justin, we get, you know, a couple hundred downloads and, you know, a couple hundred more whatever. And you're just always looking at the metrics and never really thinking about downloads as people. And then I remember when I was on the book tour with Grant, I had all these people from Calgary, Canada come up to me. They're like, oh, we love you and Justin's show, The Fi Show. Like, we listen every week. And I'm like, what? Like, you guys listen to The Fi Show? We had maybe like 2,000 downloads or 2,500 downloads an episode at that point. And it was just like, I don't know. That stuff makes me want to keep going and keep doing this. The, the fact that people are listening, people are getting value out of these episodes. So thank you all for your support. And I know, Justin, you're excited about this change as well. Just we're kind of restructuring to make it make more sense and fit into our lives a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, first off, I want to say like what Cody was saying, which is thank you so much for, you know, following along, listening. I don't think that I necessarily thought that this would work enough in the beginning where we would be at 100 episodes, but it has. I think it has worked. I mean, we get a lot of good feedback from people, but we are trying to just make it more reasonable for us and for you guys. So we want to make it so that, again, you get your voice heard 
you get to dig a little deeper into a topic instead of having to jump to the different topics so soon. We also want to make it a little more sustainable for us. I mean, I, I think throughout this episode, this has been kind of like a preview of the things that we've been doing over the last six months. We could spend hours talking about all the things we've been doing. And any given week, you know, me and Cody are spending 10 plus hours to push out an episode. And we're not doing it for the money. You know, we're doing it to give you guys great information and to learn things ourselves. But we're just looking at how can we kind of automate things a little more, reduce work that maybe doesn't have any ROI for both us or the listener. So you may start to see shorter show notes, um, more abbreviated version, because we think most people are consuming the episode via just listening, and they would only go to the show notes for a couple of links and just a brief description. So you may see some little changes like that. But, you know, we're still bringing the same commitment to it. We're just trying to make sure that it's sustainable and that we continue to bring everybody great content. And as we've been talking about interaction, we hope that you guys join like the Facebook page at thefyshow.com slash community. Or you can always contact us through thefyshow.com and let us know, like, what do you think about episodes like this where it's just, where just me and Cody jump on? give you a lot of insights. Um, we're thinking about doing more episodes like this that would kind of partner up with guest expertise so we can kind of give you what we think about it, get a little more insight into how we would utilize these things in our own day-to-day life. But please reach out. Let us know what you thought about this episode. I know we had a ton of fun with the episode and we can't wait to see you guys over the next 100 episodes. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.